dear ones. You're listening to the What God Is Not podcast with Father Michael O'Loughlin and Sister Natalia. Glory to Jesus Christ, sister. Glory to him forever, Father. I love what a good mood you're in today. <laughs> I'm, happy, I'm, happy, I'm happy to be on here with you and to share your good mood with the world. You're a something. Good liar. <laughs> That's what I was going for. I'm in a terrible mood today. I'm in a terrible mood today, and it's I'm taking it out on all the other nuns. Which it sounds, it probably sounds to our listeners like this happened two weeks in a row, but actually we just, we're recording two episodes today. So it's the same bad mood and the same taking it out on the nuns as the last (laughs) episode that we recorded. (laughs) So. Well, I'm having just a normal day. You're always happy. But the people around me today are not having a very good day. So I've been listening to a lot of people that are having not good days. And so in comparison, with my like, 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 one of Father Nathan's girls just came up and like, very dramatically plopped herself on the sidewalk next to her. I was sitting and praying. She goes, "There's no food in the house." <laughs> I was like, I, "I objectively know this is wrong." <laughs> I say, "I say, okay, w- if you could eat any food at all, what would it be?" And she stops. She thinks. She goes, "Poop." <laughs> like, I know exactly which daughter this and I was, was. like, um, well, uh, I know where there's some is. Uh, she, you, she said what she thought was raccoon poop in the front yard, but I know for a fact that it's just dog poop. But she said it's raccoon poop, but it looks like raccoon poop. I was like, how do you know raccoon? And then she's like, I said, well, there's some right over there. Go ahead. She goes, I'm not allowed to. <laughs> I was like, thank God. <laughs> Oh. And I will say this is not the four-year-old. This is older than a four-year-old. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know which one this was. The I told her dad, and dad's like, "You are so weird." <laughs> <laughs> this is pretty weird banter topic. There was something I was going to tell oh, are you. Are we recording? <laughs> Good. <laughs> I don't remember what it was. Oh, it was that uh, today's the feast of Saint Sissos, and do you say Sissoes? I, I say it the right way. Which is what? Sissos, I guess. <laughs> Supposedly, because you were to judge me for pronouncing it wrong. No, I wasn't. I wasn't going to judge you. It's uh, one of the other nuns. Well, I, sister, I can see that it's still light outside behind you. It's obviously not the Feast of St. Sissos yet. You know we pray Vespers at 4.45 regardless of when sunset uh, is. It's 7.45 p.m. Real nuns pray as it getting dark. <laughs> You just—I'm <laughs> so glad we were—we thought about—we thought about having this as our first video podcast, <laughs> and I'm just really glad that we don't get it. We'd have—we'd have you on full display for your eye rolls and your glares, <laughs> though. So the we're celebrating Saint Sissos. It might be pronounced Sissoes, but I prefer Sissos. So because well, so you Mother, made this up, Mother Eliana and I love this saint. Simply because when you say his name, it sounds like a three-year-old trying to say scissors. <laughs> Saint Scissors. <laughs> scissors. <laughs> it's so yeah, cute. Right. So Scissoes isn't as fun. Right. So it might be Scissoes, but we always say Scissoes. Oh. Scissoes. So isn't it so cute? Oh, the girls so have a friend here who flew in from Pittsburgh, uh-huh. and she looks just like a 10-year-old Taylor Swift. That's weird. Like she's ten, but she looks like a ten-year-old Taylor Swift. Because <laughs> Taylor Swift, like, what? Didn't she start playing music when she was like ten? 
I the teardrops know. on my guitar song. I think that was like, I think she was like 10. Wow, that's sad. I'm sure she was older than that. I'm just kidding. But this oh. girl looks like this girl looks like she's 10, but she looks like maybe a 14-year-old Taylor Swift. <laughs> All right. You're saying a lot of things right now. I am. I'm trying to cover up for your bad mood. I'm, I'm trying to do everything <laughs> to get you in a good mood. Why you gotta me, be me, so rude? Let, let me let me see if you can if you can judge me further. That that'll put you in a good mood. So can I can I just tell you my topic and then and then maybe you can judge me further, and it, and you'll be happy. Tell me you didn't change the topic. I didn't. I didn't tell you what it was going to be. I wanted. I want to do it on. I have this theory, based upon Gregory Nazianzus, and it's about vocations, and like how we <laughs> how. how how we, how we discern vocations. Um, and I have some theories that I'd like to run the by you if that's okay, sister. Oh, this is very funny. Are you going to explain to people why that's so funny? I'm, sister thinks it's so funny. She rarely laughs at my jokes, but she obviously laughed at that one <laughs> because I forget everything. And I have before tried to do a topic a second time, an exact topic I had done before. Like same analogies, same oh, everything. Yeah. Oh, same it was thing. exactly I'm, the same. I'm so predictable. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like I knew what was coming next in the topic. You didn't look horrified at all. Like when I was doing it, you were like, I'm just going to let him do this. I I'm going to literally let him like go through the whole thing. <laughs> I maybe, thought... maybe he'll change a word here or there. And then you're like, nope, he's not changing a single word. He's literally doing the entire podcast word for word six months later. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to take it in a different direction. I was like, at any moment now, he's going to break away from. <laughs> uh, why didn't God give me a brain that remembered more? So, because he wanted to abuse me. Because, <laughs> so we did that, that topic earlier today. So that's why it's funny. But what yes. your actual talk, that was, that was funny. That did cheer no, me no, up. Thank you, sister. I, appreciate I, I get cheered up by being around you usually. Uh-huh. Sometimes, sometimes, yeah. Anyways. <laughs> even even virtually. <laughs> yeah. All right. So my real topic is inspired. Is this my topic or is this your topic? It's kind of your topic. But no, I'm it's your topic. It. Okay, fine. It's my topic because you did two in a row, so I'm doing two in a row. Yeah. But this this topic is inspired by one sister Natalia of Christ Bridegroom Monastery who, who wanted to do this topic, but she said um, she didn't want to put the time in to prepare it. So she asked me to do that because I've automatically put the time in to prepare it. So we're going to do it on Byzantine baptism. Yeah, because I want us to go through and go ahead. It's your topic. No, sister wants to do one on all the holy mysteries, (laughs) which I think is beautiful. Yeah, because we have a lot of listeners who are like, I want to learn more about the Byzantine things. And this is the thing. So, the book I'm using, because this is another thing, and I'm going to say this a few times throughout this podcast, the same disclaimer that poor sister Natalia has had to, had to um, give multiple times is that within our Eastern churches, so if, you, if you're a canon lawyer, mm-hmm. you know the difference between the Latin code of canon law and the Eastern code of canon law. The Latin code of canon law is for one church. It is for the Latin Catholic church. And, and so canon law can be very, very specific because it's for one church. The Eastern code of canon law is for 23 different churches. And so all of the various Eastern Catholic churches, and there's 23 of them, and the Eastern code of canon, canon code of canon law covers all of them. So it leaves a lot of wiggle room within its canon law for particular law, which is the rules that each church may have. So then each sui juris church or 
if they have a patriarchate or they have a major archbishop, whatever the the level of that suayur self-governing church is, they also have their own particular law. And the particular law is kind of makes particular what universal canon law says for the Eastern churches. And then every diocese or eparchy tends to have a a uh, pastoral handbook that kind of takes the the particular law and makes it even more specific, more particular for that eparchy, that 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 bishop, that group of priests. So, in other words, usual disclaimer when we're talking about Eastern Catholic churches here, you're going to see different things. So don't judge us and don't judge whoever else you see. Um, the book I'm using is, is a book that is very hard to get a hold of. Um, I the the parish that I in Denver when I didn't when I got sent there did not have this book, um, but I was able to acquire it from one Bishop John Kudrick years ago when we were sitting in his living room at with uh, some small gathering with young adults in Parma and and baptism came up and I said. I just, I'm just going to be brave. I said, do you possibly have any of those old Eparchy of Parma, Eparchy of Van Nuys baptism books? And he looks at me and he goes, I have one left. And I was sweet. So that's the book I got. The one I'm holding is actually that reminds from me, this parish though. Go ahead. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, oh, so I, because I have, that well, the parish, parish has one. Yeah, the proto-cathedral had one. Denver did not. So I thought you meant he had the proto-cathedral's coffee and you ended up back at the that uh, parish. No, so no. I was like, that's cool. <laughs> the, that reminds me of... The way we got, maybe I shouldn't tell this story, but I'm telling it. The way that we got our, uh, you know, we have a stole that was worn by St. John Paul II and at our monastery, which is wonderful because we love JP2 here and our monastery started in large part because of him. I've talked about this a lot on the podcast, um, I'm sure. So his letter, um, Oriental Lumen. So anyways, the way we got his stole is... We know, I'm not going to say who the person was, but we, we know a person who had his stole and mother decided to be bold and she was going to ask him for a piece of the stole. And so she says, can we have, but instead of a piece of it, what comes out of her mouth is just the stole. She says, can we have the stole? She asks for our monastery to just have JP2's, this stole that he wore. <laughs> And, and the guy was like, yeah, sure, you can have it. And so he gives it to us. But it's like, mother, as soon as it comes out of her mouth, she's just like, oh, what did I just say? But, but the boldness paid off. And now we have it a ended up working. So, Amen. Amen. All right. Um, so I have this book. And so I've been using it and all other clergy should be jealous. The, what I have, the book I have, the book I have is, was promulgated by, um, one in, in Parma at the time, the bishop was the most reverend Andrew Bataki, mm -hmm. who then went on to be the bishop of Passaic. He's better known for that. And also the bishop of Van Nuys, which is when the cathedral was my current parish, um, is the most reverend George M. Kuzma. So, uh, who, who, uh, was the second bishop <laughs> of the eparchy of Van Nuys. Do you remember when you, uh, when you commemorated Bishop oh George gosh. at Father Joel's ordination, yeah. I think it was his. It was at his diaconate ordination, and and you said Bishop George with Bishop John Pazak there. It was like three bishops after him, and yeah. I was never a priest under Bishop George. <laughs> and I said Bishop George. This is what I've realized, though. It like was the so way funny. the way that my brain works, I must have had a very formative time between like my between sixteen and eighteen. Those years, for some reason, because is that when Bishop it, George was. 
It was, and but also the fact of the matter was that when I like, if I try to pray during the divine liturgy and I like don't look at the book and I pray from memory, uh-huh. if I mess up, I you know I I, I try to I try not to do that unless I know it well. I know it's going to be mm-hmm. right. But if every once in a while when I mess up, I'm messing up because I'm doing the translation from like pre two thousand seven, like and I was only a priest two years, like a year and a half. Like before the, before the, instead of yeah before yeah, it yeah. changed, but for some reason I've been doing the new translation a lot more. But for some reason, if I if I mess up, it's because I'm going back to the old translation. Anyway, my brain's weird. <laughs> All right, I want I want to jump into this because it, it could it could go yeah, along. We're already thirteen go. minutes yeah. in. Mm-hmm. Um, so the book I'm using, and the reason why I give the book I'm using, um, I need to speak into the mic because I can hear my voice going up and down when I'm looking over at the book. Um, the book I'm using has some prayers that the like the blue book that most of our parishes have in the pews don't have all of this stuff. So I just want to explain what these are. The very first thing in this book um, is the prayer for a mother after childbirth, and it's just it's just a simple prayer. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy, Sovereign Lord and Master. You heal every infirmity. Raise up your servant, and then you put the name in Anne, who is today given birth and grant her recovery. May she no longer remember her pain for joy that a child has been born into the world. That, of course, is John sixteen. According to the words of the prophet David, we were conceived in sins and all fall, and all of us are guilty in your sight. That's from Psalm fifty. Protect her. Protect her and her child. Shelter her under the cover of your wings, which is Psalm 17, from this day to the end of her life. And then it continues with the doxology. So it's literally just a, like a, a prayer like on the day of. And I love that our Byzantine parishes are small enough where we can kind of retain that. I've done this. I've, I've literally probably two or three times blessed, two of them are my family, but I, I've, I've, I've blessed a woman like on the day she gave birth. I, I, got, I got the honor of being invited, you know, to the hospital room, you know, a couple hours after she gave birth. And it's just such a beautiful thing because sometimes it's, sometimes we, I'm sure there's priests that feel this way. I don't, but I, I never, I never feel that I'm just a, like a, a mysteries or a sacraments machine mm. or like a blessing machine. Like if somebody says like, father, literally, can you drive an hour, walk into my hospital room, give me a, a 30 second blessing and then walk out and leave. Cause we have other things to do. I'd be like, Absolutely. Like I, I absolutely feel the power of blessings. And, and even if they don't really care that father Michael's there with his personality, like if I'm going to come in and do just this simple blessing, cause it's so beautiful and traditional, I will, I will absolutely do it. So this is just the prayer for mother after childbirth. The next prayer in here then is the one done on the eighth day. So I know that I had a, I had parishioners shout out to the carries in Denver yeah. who would always try to baptize their baby on the eighth day. And this is a story I've told before. Um, they, uh, when they, they would they would try to baptize the baby on the eighth day, but they would always do it on the on the Sunday closest. So, in other words, it was almost never on the eighth day. But mm. they would never tell anybody, even their children, the name of the baby. Yeah. I know I shared this before. They would never tell anybody the name of the baby. So, I would literally get handed a little sheet of paper with the baby's name on it, and then sometimes I had to ask, ask for pronunciation guide or something like this. But then I would. So, when I said the baby's name at the at the churching in the very beginning was the first time that anybody other than the mm. couple heard the baby's name, which is cool. But according That's like to our this doctor. book. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's and it's that there's there's this beautiful anticipation that the church does so well. You know that this kind of um, uh, the the build up. It's it's almost kind of Hollywood, which is I think is beautiful. So on the eighth day, though, we have this prayer for the preparation of the child for baptism. So this is just on the eighth day. Um, this prayer is going to is going to uh, bless the child again. 
um, as it prepares for baptism. This is all, by the way, um, as far as I understand it, taken from kind of two different sources. I'm, I'm hearing that too. I don't know what it is. Um, it's coming from from two different sources. So one of the sources is the old Jewish um, cleansing rituals and, and welcoming a mother back after giving birth to a child because, of course, the birth of a child involves a lot of blood and, and blood uh, kept someone away from the temple. So you had to go a certain amount of time. You had to do certain cleansing rituals before you could return. So even the blessing on the first day, now the, pr the prayer for the preparation of the child for baptism, again, there, there's... Um, it's a simple prayer. I'll read it here, but all of these are coming from the, the kind of the gradual step-by-step -step process of the cleansing rituals from the old, old Testament Jewish traditions and also of the catechumenate. So the catechumenate, um, what the Roman, what you Roman Catholics call RCIA, um, that we just call the catechumenate, um, is a step-by-step -step process to baptism. But obviously with a baby, you're not going to take a whole 40 days. You know, most people aren't. Some people do. I certainly had parishioners like that in, in Denver as well. But you're not going to take a whole 40 days and kind of bring the child to church multiple times before they're baptized. You can do that. It's in our tradition. I would, I would love to do that if somebody wanted that. You know, hey, I'm going to bring the child on the eighth or come to the come to the hospital or to the house bless the baby on the day then on the eighth day we're going to bring the, the baby for this preparation then the next time we're going to do the churching the next time we're going to do the exorcism the next time we're going to do the baptism mm -hmm. you know we would do that but th that all comes from um, both the jewish cleansing rituals and the the process the longer process of, of catechesis for adults if you have adult converts this is the prayer after after the trisagium prayers Lord our God, we pray, we ask you, may the light of your face be impressed upon your servant, the baby's name, the say John, and may the cross of your only son be impressed upon his heart in his thoughts that he may flee the vanity of the world and every evil scheme of the enemy, that he may follow your commands, O Lord, grant to your holy Grant that your holy name may remain upon him and never be renounced. Grant that in due time he may be joined to your holy church, may reach perfection through the awesome mysteries of your Christ. May he live according to your commandments and keeping the seal intact, may he attain the blessedness of the elect in your kingdom. Again, that's pretty explicitly part of the process that, was, that would be used for an adult that in this case you could use for a baby as well. Any thoughts, sister? Um... I have or some, we'll just keep on trucking. Yeah, no, I, I want to, we're going to expound upon this in a future episode, so I'm not going to expound upon it here, but that's just making me think of the distinction between image and likeness and because of the the, the face being pressed upon, mm -hmm. um, which, then, which then makes me think of the render unto Caesar's that which is Caesar's because that that coin has the the image of Caesar on it but but we have the image of God and um the but then there's yeah so anyways I want to talk about that on a future podcast so we don't it's need interesting to do that here. because it actually says may the cross of your only son be no impressed. before that before that it says the the light face. of your face yeah be impressed light of your face. Your got it mm -hmm. sorry about that that's okay. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of impressing and mm -hmm. and marking and enjoinings um, going on in that prayer. Also with the cross one, it makes me think of the paramandias that we wear after our, when we make our life profession, paramandias, uh, the, the, the cloth that we wear underneath our veil. Ah, okay. That has the, the, crucif the crucifix mm. on it with all the instruments of the passion. And it says, I, it's the quoting St. Paul that I bear in my bodies, the mark of my Lord and Savior, mm. Jesus Christ. The, I might've just misquoted that. I don't know. But the, 
that's what the, the cross being impressed upon us reminds me of too. Beautiful. So, yeah. yeah. And it's the same thing. The early Christians have almost always worn a cross mm-hmm. after baptism. Yep. You kind of receive a baptism cross. It's not in the ritual as you'll hear they were going through today, but, but yeah. All right. Next, there is a, either, whether you are doing this at the church or at home, there is two different two different rituals. Interestingly enough, if you do this in the church, there is no Trisagian prayers. The Trisagian prayers are the, the kind of introductory prayers that, that we Byzantines say before any other prayer service. Um, that pretty much they're, they're prayers that, that lead up to the Our Father. So you're kind of, as I know we've talked to this before, but the Trisagian prayers um, begin with, if there's a priest there, blessed is a God always, now and ever and forever. Amen. Glory to you, our God. Glory to you. Heavenly King, comfort, etc. You go through the Holy God, Most Holy Trinity, and then the Our Father. So you're kind of even preparing to say the Our Father. We we do we're all about preparation, kind of making sure that our heart is ready for even the Our Father, because that's such a an immense and effective prayer. So um, if you're going to give the mother first communion for the first time at home, so this would be like for a sick call. Um, this is a prayer um, again, whether it's at home or at church, uh, for the mother before receiving communion after giving birth to the child. This pretty explicitly comes in the old Jewish cleansing traditions, where mm-hmm. where before you re- before you become the temple by receiving, you're going to receive a, a blessing of of, pur- of purification. Again, I, I understand this could be offensive. I would urge you, you know, I I don't think we need to see that see it that way at all. Um, a mother is not is not dirty because of, of blood. Obviously we do not believe that at all anymore. Um, that would be very much against the Christian teachings, but there still is this um, kind of retention and a, a reminder of the preparation need for any of us to receive the Eucharist. Mm. Um, I love reminding my people every once in a while. And I, sometimes we just have to say it, you know, there are prayers for, there are prayers in the book, in the green books and the pews mm-hmm. for that. We pray before divine liturgy and we pray after divine liturgy prayers meant to be done privately. So when somebody says, Oh, there's no silence in the divine liturgy, we go, that's right. There's no silence in the divine liturgy, but there is silence before and after, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and, and that, that's when you can be praying. Well, depending prayers. on your parish. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, you're not, you're not going to have silent silence if you have any families whatsoever or old people with hearing aids that buzz or, you know, farty old men or whatever, but, um, but that's how it's going to be. All right. Um, so the prayer is simply, okay. This yeah, This is, the, is, kind this is of, the prayer for a woman to receive is, yes, a new mother. Yes, before she receives the okay. Eucharist. Um, and it's actually kind of intense because there's, there's a prayer um, that you pray if the baby died, mm-hmm. um, which... Which again, that that even more reflects kind of just the 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 history of purification. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I can't even imagine. I mean, you, it would have to be a very a very strong mother and father to say that I, I'd like to I'd like to receive this blessing before receiving the Eucharist. But these these blessings are absolutely not essential. By the way, these are only offered by the church if if the family wants or if the priest wants to give them. Um, but the prayer, O Lord Almighty, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, you created all nature, both spiritual and physical, by your word, and you brought all things from nothingness into being. We pray, we ask you to save, bless, and strengthen and protect your chosen servant, um, the mom's name, and that she may partake of your holy mysteries, bless the child born of her, grant her growth, sanctify her, and grant her understanding, discretion, and good judgment as you have brought her into existence and have shown her the light of day. Grant also that in due time, she may be worthy of the spiritual enlightenment to be numbered among your holy flock, etc. And then pretty much if you, if, if the child has died, you just leave off the second part mm. um, about the blessing of the child. 
And then you get into what what most I think priests nowadays do, and that is the churching. So this would, would again, it could be on a whole different day. So um, the previous prayer would have been just the, the, whenever you see the mom before she receives the Eucharist, usually right before she receives the Eucharist to receive that blessing. Um, but the right of the churching can either be done at a day previous to the baptism, or I think most of the time nowadays it happens on the day of the baptism. And here is probably the the most you're going to get the most varying traditions mm-hmm. of what this is. So the the churching is is kind of the the gradual presentation of the baby. I mean, if we understood how how immense it is to walk into a into a church, to walk into a temple. I mean, this is where usually for generations people have prayed this is the home of jesus with the eucharist this is where heaven meets earth i mean this is really an incredible incredible place and so there's there's this humility with saying that a child is kind of gradually brought in because the child's not baptized yet and so you know you don't just run up to the holy place you know there, there's kind of a, a gradual procession in so the child doing as the churching begins in the narthex you know you begin in the very back of the church and then you do this beautiful churching right where you walk up to the front of the the um the church now uh, just a quick summary of the debate about about churching um the churching is again it's it's done you it's done traditionally before the baptism so you have the the priest meets the parents the godparents and the baby in the in the narthex and then the, there's prayers i'll say in a moment that the baby is kind of gradually brought in while the priest is praying that the baby is gradually brought in from the narthex up to the sanctuary up to the at least to the royal doors um now the from what I learned in seminary, if I remember correctly, was that was that this this all happened before. So right now in this book, it says yeah, that's what you do. You gradually carry the baby up. Um, supposedly, historically, there was also a time when before the baptism. Again, I I, I admit I could be getting this wrong, but this what I remember from seminary. This ended up being squelched later on that the priest would actually take the baby and carry it around through the holy place, carry it beyond the royal doors before baptism, and it was, it was the churching. Now, obviously, that that didn't sit right. So then That's they started very surprising to me. Yeah, then they started moving that. Um, so you would do the churching, and then if the baby was carried around the altar, the baby would be it would be done after the baptism. Mm-hmm. So you do you tr- you do the introduction, kind of the gradual movement forward of the baby, and then you do the baptism, and then you would you would. Uh, walk the baby around the altar. Now, like this book doesn't even have the walking around the altar in it. I don't think mo- most books do. That that's a tradition that 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 priests can kind of choose to adopt, or unless they're bishops to say one way or the other. Um, but uh, but I mean, th- there's there's some traditions that never walk around the altar with the baby. I'll I'll explain that in a second. There's traditions that that walk around the altar only with a baby boy, kind of like why we only allow male altar servers because there's a potential of of advancement in in vocation. And so the the holy place, um, the altar area is is meant for those ordained to be there, called by the church to be in this place that would have been the holy of holies in the Old Testament. So only male children are brought through. Other traditions, male and female children are brought through. So Sometimes the baby's laid on the floor in front of the altar, like where the priest stands. Sometimes the baby's laid on the altar. And so there, there's these various traditions that, 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 that different uh, churches or different traditions throughout history will do. Um, but this is how the priest begins with the churching of the child. O Lord, our God, according to the law, you were brought to the temple as an infant on the 40th day by your holy mother. You were held in the embrace of the righteous Simeon. Now, Almighty Master, bless this child brought here to be presented to you, creator of all things. Bless him, grant him growth and wisdom that he may be pleasing to you in all things. 
O Lord, protector of infants, drive out from him every enemy power by the sign of your cross. Grant that he being deemed worthy of holy baptism may together with the elect share in your holy kingdom. Protect him together with us by the grace of the holy, consubstantial, and life-creating trinity. Then um, there is a prayer that is only done um, if the baby is not being baptized that day. I've actually never read that prayer because I've never not I've never <laughs> done the churching separately in, in 16 years of priesthood. I've always done the churching along. Um, but anyway, so I'm going to skip ahead just because I want to make sure I have enough time for everything else. But mm-hmm. so the, the, the priest then holds the baby and makes the sign of the cross with it before the door is the nave. So we're still on the, we're still in the narthex. We haven't walked into the main body of the church yet. And the priest just says, servant of God, John is churched in the name of the father of the son of the Holy spirit. Amen. As he walks, as he breaks the plane between the narthex, and the navy says, I have access to your house. I bow down before your holy temple, which is Psalm five. Did you he say stops. He- did you say he makes the sign of the cross over the baby? With the baby. Like he like lifts up the baby. You see me do this, right? Yeah, it's been a while. You thought I was just being dramatic? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I just You're don't. You're like, why does that in the book? Father Michael's like blessing the church with the baby. That's weird. Uh, yeah. no. no, I just no, don't You make the sign of the cross with the baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, great. You obviously I just cannot do this with an adult. Just, misspeak <laughs> <laughs> I know I misspeak a lot I get it you are right to say that okay so then the priest stops in the middle of the church and says the servant of God John is church in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit amen make the sign of the cross with the baby and then he says in the midst of the church I will praise you which is Psalm 21 and then the priest walks all the way up to the sanctuary doors the royal doors and there he says again this child is churched, the servant of God, excuse me, is churched in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And then, this is where you'll see different traditions. Um, some priests will just stand at the doors and they will hold in the baby, they will chant the hymn of Simeon. So remember, Simeon um, was, the, was the elder who held Jesus when he was presented in the temple. And he said, now let your servant depart in peace. Um, according to your word, my eyes have seen the salvation, et cetera. And he's holding the baby Jesus. So the priest now sings that he's kind of in the place of Simeon. Um, sometimes the priest will, will walk around the altar. He'll actually carry the baby into the Holy of Holies. Um, because no one is only Christ. The high priest can go through those Holy of Holies as St. Paul says. Um, but once the baby is baptized, he participates, he or she participates so, um, authentically, and in, in Jesus Christ, he's just participated in Christ's own death and resurrection. He's become a member of the body of Christ. So the, those priests that do that, the diocese that do that would, would say that that's, there's um, an identification of the child with Christ at that moment. So he, as, as the priest is, since he's vested, um, so the child can be carried through the royal doors, walked around the altar, et cetera rock back out again at this point. Um, so anyway, that, but again, the, so the priest, if you, uh, if you're going to do that, you actually stop at the Royal doors. You do not sing the hymn of St. Simeon. You carry the baby back. Then you begin the exorcisms, which I'll do in a moment, the reception of the catechumenate exorcisms. And that after the baptism and chrismation, then you walk the baby around the altar because now they've been actually been baptized. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited to do an episode on the life profession of a monk or a nun, because there are just mm. so many parallels to baptism. It's really cool. I know I'm coming up. We'll have to film it, and then we can <gasps> uh, we can discuss it mm. after that. 
All right, the next step, and again, this can be done on a whole separate day or even done privately. I think a lot of priests do this privately because they don't like the length of it, um, but I like doing it publicly because I think it's beautiful, and I think the people are, are there for a little bit longer um, services. But now we have what's called the, the reception into the catechumenate. So again, the, the catechumenate was, and I just had this conversation the other day, I have a catechumen here at the parish now, um, pray for Catherine. Um, I have a catechumen here at the parish uh, 22, 23 years old. And she, uh, she's very, very intentional. And she said to me just on Sunday, she says, are we in any rush? And I said, I said, no, I said, absolutely not. I said, you know, we, we are going to discuss every question you have. We're going to teach you the entire creed. We're going to teach you every aspect of the faith that you're entering into before you before you're baptized. And she said, yeah, because I believe that if I died now, like God would understand my intention. And I, and I said, absolutely. Not only is that the baptism of desire, but once, once you've entered the catechumenate, that there's even like the acknowledgement by the church that you are on your way to baptism. And so the baptism of desire is even a little more purely objective at that point. Um, um, so this is the prayer for the, so what happens with the reception of the catechumenate? Um, the priest now, along with the, he has the baby, if it's a baby in his arms, is, by the way, this works for an adult too. I mean, you can, you can kind of <laughs> fill in the blanks. You're doing the same thing. You're not carrying, you're not carrying a blessing carrying with the adult adults. Carrying an adult in your arms. <laughs> um, the, the fact of the matter is an adult would probably have been in the church before. So the churching really isn't the same form. Um, but I, I imagine. It's like that game. You know when you like, you're in a pool or in the ocean or something and you like hold one of your friends like in a cradle and then you play the game of like you ask questions and every time they get it wrong, you dunk them backwards. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking oh, about? I've seen that, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> It's like, guess the color I'm thinking of yeah. or something. And every time they guess wrong, you like dunk them backwards. And I used to do that when you were kids anyway. So that's what I'm imagining. It's like, weird, you're just holding visions. this and you just dunk them backwards into the <laughs> font. Okay, go ahead. So the priest stands with the parents of the godparents in the narthex and he, uh, he faces the baby east. Now this is... Um, towards the, the the direction of east, I know we've talked about it before. This is the, the where the sun rises. This is a sign of anticipation of the coming of Christ, especially the second coming of Christ. It's an acknowledgement of the first coming of Christ in the incarnation and a, a anticipation of the second coming of Christ. In other words, where the sun rises, um, that that's the, the the new day, the eighth day, the first day. Um, there's also a, a semantic um, issue here. I don't I don't know enough about it to explain the whole thing, but kind of the, the, the sprouting of the, the sprout from the root of Jesse, that, that, that word for sprouting is the same thing as like rising. So the incarnation that God will come from this, the root of the chosen people, um, that same thing with the rising of the sun. So when we see the sun rising, it's, this, it's a, a fulfillment of, of the incarnation and who's the son of God and the one who the light of the world as we are, but he's the one who came to enlighten the world. Um, so we face East or if our churches, um, if our churches are facing another, another direction like mine is, and many of ours are, um, we call it what's called liturgical East. So pretty much I just say face the altar. So I don't want to confuse people since our church is technically facing West. Mm-hmm. I just say face the altar. So you're, you're facing <clears throat> the altar, you're facing the direction of the rising sun. The priest now breathes upon the face and signs the forehead and the chest three times. This breathing again is from ruach, the, 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 the Hebrew word that can means both breath and spirit. And I love this tradition because 
Um, we have in the beginning of Genesis that the spirit hovered over the waters. We also know that Jesus is the word of God, the divine logos, um, which means word. So God, the father spoke his word, like the, the first creation happened in Genesis. And again, God, the father said, I know we've covered this briefly. God, the father said, you know, let there be light. He spoke, he revealed himself. And, and that revelation became existence. The word mm. is the world is the creation is, 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 the revelation of God himself spoken into the world and, and the, the breath that, that, that is behind the word, the breath that makes the word effective and real is the Holy Spirit. So ruach means spirit or breath. So God the Father speaks creation into existence and he does it through his breath. We obviously see this with the incarnation, with the annunciation. The Mary was pregnant with Jesus, the word of God, the revelation of God, the perfect revelation of God, the most perfect of, of, of all the things that, that God created, including man. Obviously Jesus is not created, that's heresy. Um, but, but, but God, God um, obviously um, made Jesus uh, the logos, a, a man in womb, Mary's womb through the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. So the, the breath of God is the spirit. The word of God that reveals God is Jesus Christ. And of course, God is the one who speaks. Um, so this breathing is because um, you, are, you are imitating that first creation because this child is now undergoing a new creation. The baby is becoming a new creation, the new creation that Jesus initiated when he died and rose. So this baby is about to participate in the death and resurrection of Christ. Mm. It also reminds me of in um, John 20 when, when Jesus breathed on them. Mm-hmm. Yep. And said, receive the Holy Spirit. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and that, that's coming up with, with Pentecost, exactly with the chrismation. Um, uh, so the, uh, so the priest then puts, so he, I, I can't go into all the details. We don't have time, but he signs the forehead and the chest three times, breathes on the face, signs the forehead and the chest three times. And he says, in your name, O Lord, the God of truth, in the name of your only son and of your Holy Spirit, I lay my hand upon your servant, John, who you have deemed worthy to flee to your holy name, take refuge under the shelter of your wings. I'm not going to read all these prayers because they're They actually they're just long, put a fake beautiful. name in there? No, or did, did you just make that up? Oh, yeah, okay. I did. <laughs> The prayer continues, free him from the ancient deceit, fill him with faith in you, hope in you and love for you, that he would know that you are the only true God, together with your only son, our Lord Jesus Christ and your Holy Spirit. Grant that he may walk in the way of your commandments and do what is pleasing to you. For the one who observes the law shall live by it. Mm. That is from Romans 10. Write his name in the book of life from Philippians. Unite him to the flock of your inheritance from Psalm 77. May your holy name be glorified, which is from Psalms. What? Typo here. They skip. Skips that. uh, Skips 18. Um, Anyway. That your name, may your holy name be glorified together with the holy name of your beloved son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and of your life-creating spirit. Let your eyes always look mercifully upon him and let your ears hear his prayers. Let him rejoice in the work of his hands and all of his posterity, that he may confess you by worshiping and glorifying your great and most exalted name, magnifying you always all the day of his life. Then the exorcisms. Again, some priests do these. If you've been to a Byzantine baptism, you did not see these things. That's because they were done privately beforehand, but I guarantee you they were done. There's two options for these exorcisms. I do not know the history of why there's two options. I imagine it's because the first one you're about to hear is just too scary. 
Um, so, so they made a shorter one as kind of an option if, if the first one was going to scare people. Um, so here it is. I wonder if it's, 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 is it possible that it developed once infant baptisms started happening more frequently? I would say they, they, they might have removed the more, the more kind of explicit language mm-hmm. um, because, because it didn't seem, again, I, I, there's, you should do this language with babies because when we do an exorcism, we're going we're to we're do an exorcism in a bit in, on the water. So in other words, you're, you're, after the fall, all of creation was harmed. That's why we needed a new creation. So, so that baby because they're a creation is harmed by the, the, by the ancestral sin of Adam and Eve. So there, there's something that the, the devil has control over that we're kind of removing from the grasp of the devil here. But I could imagine yeah. psychologically, it is probably what you said, sister. I, I guess, yeah, I'm just wondering because I think, I think the, the Romans have a different rite of baptism for adults than they do for children. So I was just wondering if it was a oh. similar development is all. So, but yeah, that exorcism is exorcism. Sin, sin, yeah. And so, the, one of the disclaimers I usually give to pair, if there's like, if there's a lot of people that are not Byzantine there, I'll say, okay, two, two things. Well, three things. I mean, breathing on the baby, and this is why, because that might look kind of weird if I don't explain it. Um, second of all, I'm going to be doing a very explicit exorcism, and uh, and just know that mm-hmm. we do not think the baby is possessed like in, like in the movie. You know, we're mm-hmm. we're literally. Um, we're making the baby holy. Like when you bless anything is like a little exorcism. You're separating it from the world, making it holy. Holy just means other. You're separating it from the use of the world and therefore in a sense, the use of the devil into something that is holy and good and meant for God. And you'll, you'll kind of see that in the prayer, just like we do for the water that's going to be used to baptize the baby later on. Mm-hmm. All right, the priest says, the Lord rebukes you, Satan. The Lord who came into the world and dwelt among us to destroy your tyranny, to deliver humanity. The Lord who upon the tree triumphed over hostile powers when the sun was darkened and the earth quaked, when the graves were opened and the bodies of the saints arose. The Lord who by death destroyed death and left powerless him who had the power of death, that is you, Satan. I adjure you by God who has shown us the tree of life and placed a cherubim and the flaming sword everywhere to guard it, be rebuked. I rebuke you by him who walks upon the surface of the sea is on dry land and rebuke the stormy winds whose frown dries up the sea, whose rebuke melts away the mountains for he himself now commands you through us. Be afraid, depart and keep away from this creature. Never dare to return or hide yourself within him. Lie not in wait for him nor scheme against him, neither during the night nor during the day, neither in the morning nor at the noonday but depart in your own dark abyss until the great day of the judgment, which is prepared for you. Fear God who is seated upon the cherubim, who looks upon the depths. Fear him before whom the angels, the archangels, the thrones, the dominations, the principalities, powers, virtues, the many-eyed cherubim and the six-winged seraphim tremble. Before whom tremble heaven and earth, the sea all they contain. Be gone and depart from this newly sealed and newly enlisted warrior for Christ our God. For I rebuke you by him who walks on the wings of the wind, who makes the winds his messengers and the flaming fires his servants. Be gone and depart from this creature together with all your power and all of your angels. For glorified is the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, now and ever and forever. Amen. It's interesting. They, there are multiple lines in there that we sing at Pascha, like during the canon or the hymn of light, uh, which mm-hmm. is just really cool because baptisms would have Amen. been traditionally on Pascha. Beautiful. Yeah. 
Hmm. Yeah, beautiful. And and that's and that's also the day that we commemorate, you know, the conquering of Satan. You know, the, mm-hmm. the day of the resurrection and and the death and resurrection of Christ, of course, aligned together. And and that's that's beautiful thing. So that all these things should point back to Pascha, should point back to the resurrection as they do. All right, I'm not even going to read the second one. I don't think we've even ever done it. Um, but anyway, uh, y'all can find the book if you want. And can then there's the one. Not this book. You, you can Google it. <laughs> you can probably find a, a translation of these prayers somewhere online. This is 2021. All right. Um, so then there's an exorcism that the priest must do. O eternal one, Lord and master, you created us in your own image and likeness, and you gave us the power of eternal life. When we fell into sin, you did not turn away from us, but you brought about the salvation of the world by the incarnation of your Christ. Deliver now this creature from slavery to the enemy. Receive him into the heavenly kingdom. Open the eyes of his mind so that the light of the gospel may shine brightly within him. During his lifetime, give him the companionship of an angel of light to rescue him from every snare lying in his path, from the encounter of the evil one, from the noonday demon, and every evil imagination. The priest then breathes, upon the mouth, the forehead, and the breast of the candidate, saying in the following as he does. Again, the breathing is, 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 the, whole, is the presence of the Holy Spirit as much as we can get that in a sacramental um, way. The priest says, drive out from him, O Lord, every evil and unclean spirit hiding and lurking in his heart. He says that three times. I'll just say it a second time. Drive out from him, O Lord, every evil and unclean spirit hiding and lurking in his heart. The spirit of deceit, the spirit of wickedness, the spirit of idolatry, of all greed, the spirit of untruth and every impurity brought about by the prompting of the devil. Make him a spiritual lamb of the holy flock of your Christ, a worthy member of your church, a son and an heir to your kingdom, that living according to your commandments, preserving the seal unbroken and keeping his baptismal robes undefiled, he may obtain the happiness of the saints in your kingdom. Mm. And then the doxology. Hmm. I'm gonna just keep on trucking if you don't mind, sister. Yeah, please, yeah. All right. If you have any, please interrupt me though, of course, Mm -hmm. if you have any thoughts. All right, and then, then the priest turns the child and the sponsors and the parents away from the altar, facing west. Um, they raise their hand in the, in, a, in the sign of rebuke. And then the priest says, do you renounce Satan, all his works, all his angels, all his service and all his pride, especially the sponsor or the candidate, if they're old enough to, they say, I do renounce him. And then there's another, have, you say that three times, have you renounced Satan? I have renounced him. It's very simple, just renunciations of Satan. You turn around, lower your hands, face towards the altar, face east. Do you commit yourself to Christ three times? Yes, I commit myself to Christ. Have you, been, have you committed yourself to Christ? Yes, I've committed myself to Christ. Do you believe in him? I believe in him for he is king and God. And then you say the creed. All right, and then there's, you ask again three times, have you committed yourself to Christ? This is, this is the moment of, of the importance of the sponsor of the godparents because they're the ones speaking for the child in this case. We talked about that a little bit a couple times, a couple episodes ago. All right, then the priest says, then worship him. This, by the way, I think must be the time. The priest says, then worship him. And the candidate or the sponsor say, they bow and say, I worship the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, one in essence and undivided. So this must have been, I mentioned in the book, we did this on the podcast on the one story, um, one story universe, that, that there's a tradition in the church that the candidate before they're baptized always does a prostration. And this is because um, the creed makes no sense or the, the baptism makes no sense without actual worship. 
you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and so part of the creed is, is the worship, but actually there's a, a bow, it just says bow here. Um, but in one tradition, you actually do a prostration as a sign, as a sign of, of um, submission and, and of, of worship of, of the mm-hmm. creator of all. All right, and the priest says, blessed is God who wishes all to be saved, to come to the knowledge of the truth now and ever and forever, amen. Then the priest says, there's another, another short prayer. I, I don't need to read. Then there's the procession up to the baptismal font. I know we're gonna get some liturgical experts say I'm skipping something really, really important here. And I, and I apologize um, if I have done that. Um, I'm, only, I'm only doing this because of, of time and also from my experience, the things that are, are kind of the most important to me. At that point, you all process up to the baptismal font, wherever that is. Many of our churches will put it in the place of the tetrapod, so kind of near the front of the church. But in Hagia Sophia, the Baptist was was in the back you know it was actually outside of of the church itself a whole whole separate building um the, we could the have a whole long does, discussion about uh ancient baptismal fonts and the the symbolisms in those yeah amen because there's yeah that's cool a stuff. beautiful and highly studied thing amen all right, so then, the, uh, so then there's the litany of peace with some added litanies for the baby um, or for the candidate the one being baptized um, and now I'm going to read this prayer out loud. It, you're actually, this is, I don't mean to scandalize you, sister. I, I do not, I'm not obedient to this book in this case. Sorry. I know, I know you're very, you're very specific about these things being scandalized, but it says if there's no, if there's a deacon, then the deacon of course does the litany and the priest can pray this prayer silently while the deacon's doing the litany. But I always pray this prayer out loud. And I, cause I think it's, it's very good for the people to hear a priest of the prayer, the uh, the prayer that the priest is only saying about himself. Does the but book think, say while the priest prays silently, or does the book say the priest may pray silently? Oh no! Ooh, it says sister. the priest prays silently. Oh, you're about to, yeah. Nope. It's, oh. So here, here's, here's. It even gives the same prayer in the very beginning. Um, where is it? It's fine. Just go. So it says, during this litany, the priest prays the following prayer silently. If there is no deacon, the priest says this prayer privately immediately before the service of baptism. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Told ya. All right. Um, So this is the prayer (laughs) that many people have maybe never heard, but I love doing it after litany. That we're now going to share with the world. That we're now going to share with the world. What a teaser, right? O compassionate and merciful God, you alone search the heart and the soul. You know their secrets. There is nothing hidden from you. All things are naked and exposed in your sight. Since you know everything about me, do not loathe me or turn your face away from me, but rather at this time overlook my offenses as you overlook the sins of all when they repent. Wash away the filth of my body and soul and make all my being holy and perfect by your unseen power and your spiritual right hand that while I proclaim freedom and offer it to others by the perfect faith of your unspeakable love for mankind, I myself may, be not be, may, not, my myself may not be found an abandoned slave of sin. O master, you alone are good and you love mankind. Do not humiliate me, but send upon me the power from on high. Strengthen me for this ministry of this great and heavenly mystery. Form Christ in him who now seeks to be born again through my humble ministry. Build him firmly upon the foundation of your apostles and prophets and do not destroy him. 
plant him as a planting of truth in your holy Catholic and apostolic church, that he may not be rooted out, that as he grows in the practice of faith, your all holy name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit may be glorified in him now and ever and forever. Amen. That's one of the most beautiful prayers I've ever heard. Isn't it? But you can see why, I mean, the priest is, is just pretty much begging begging God to, to work through him, even yeah. though he's a, a vessel of sin, you know, well, because he's a sinner a, like everybody else. We see this a little bit in the liturgy. Like there are a couple of times that the priest says something similar to this, but like one sentence. Um, yeah. yeah. And this is just so beautiful. But also in Compline, when, when the, when the uh, hegumen, the abbot will stand up in front of the icon of the mother mm-hmm. of God and, and, and pray. I mean, I'm guessing that's been done out loud. I don't know. Liturgist, correct me if I'm wrong, but we'll pray the prayer before Compline, which I'll read at some point. But it's just, you know, the priest is, whoever's up there is saying, you know, I am, I am lazy and full of lust and full of anger. And, you know, it's like you're kind of saying all these things that come on at night when our, when our mm-hmm. bodies get weaker, or so does our souls. And you're pleading with the mother of God, who's the queen of purity and the queen of humility and the, the, the queen of, you know, quiet is not, is not a sinner, never gossiped and never got angry in a sinful way. You know, you're asking her to, to kind of remove these things. It's a really beautiful kind of vulnerable, but public, at least in its current form, public mm-hmm. prayer said by the, by the leader of the community who's up there. All right. And then the real prayer that the people do here, let me just kind of skip and see if there's anything The real in here. prayer. <laughs> The prayer that everybody hears. Um, you talk about, the priest talks about the water. You crush the heads of the serpents in the water. He's talking about, um, you know, all these quotes from the Psalms, from Galatians, Ephesians. Um, here now is he's standing in front of the baptismal water and he's about to do the exorcism on the water. Um, he says, make this water a fountain of incorruption, a gift of sanctification for the forgiveness of sins, a healing of sicknesses, the destruction of demons, impregnable to hostile powers and filled with angelic strength. Let all those who would like to ensnare your creature flee from this water. For we have called upon your name, O Lord, which is wondrous and glorious and fearful to the enemy. Then he puts his fingers in in the sign of a cross. He breathes upon the water. Again, that breath, that ruah, the spirit. He says the following three times, may all the enemy powers be crushed by the sign of your cross. So again, the priest is, is making the sign of the cross in the water with his hands in the form of a cross and he's doing an exorcism on the water. And then he takes the oil. This is, this is the oil of catechumens, the oil that's going to anoint the child. And he blesses it. The reference is in this prayer. I'm not going to read the whole thing. The reference in this prayer is to the dove, right? In Noah's Ark that, that, that went out and came back with, with a, a twig of the olive branch. And so we take the fruit and that was a sign of peace and reconciliation, right? All those who are evil are dead, right? The flood killed them all. There, there, there's a certain peace in the world. There's a certain reconciliation now. And the ark is as the Christians have always seen Noah's ark as a sign of baptism, you know, being passing through the waters mm-hmm. um, for reconciliation with God. So the priest then takes some oil. It's just olive oil at this point. He's, he's blessing it for use in this baptism. And he references especially, he says, Oh, Master Lord, God of our fathers, to those in Noah's Ark, you sent a dove, bearing in its beak a twig of the olive tree as a sign of reconciliation, salvation from the flood, foreshadowing the mystery of grace. Now you provide us the fruit of the olive tree for the celebration of the holy mysteries, etc." The priest then says, Alleluia, three times, and he, he pours some of that oil into the baptismal water in the form of a cross. And he says, blessed is God who enlightens and sanctifies everyone coming into the world now and ever and forever. Amen. 
And then he, I, this is one of my favorite parts of the baptism. He takes the, what, the remainder of that oil and he, he blesses the baby's forehead. And he says, the servant of God, John is anointed with the oil of gladness in the name of the father. By the way, the oil of gladness comes from Psalm 44. In the name of the father and the son of the Holy Spirit, the priest makes a form of the cross, the baby's forehead, that his mind may be open to the understanding and acceptance of the mysteries of the faith of Christ, to the knowledge of his truth, now endeavor and forever, amen. Again, forehead for the mind, then the breast for the healing of soul and body, that he may love the Lord God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, that he may love his neighbor as himself. So the chest, of course, is the heart. Then the ears, a little bless, a little oil on each ear in the shape of a cross, that his ears may be ready to listen to the teachings of faith and accept the words of the divine gospel. Then the shoulders, that he may willingly take upon himself the easy yoke of Christ, gladly carry his light burden, that he may shun all cravings of sensuality, the baby's hands or the candidate's hands, that he may innocently raise his hands to heaven, do the right thing at all times and bless the Lord. This is the Oran's position, right? Raising your hands in prayer. Then you put the oil on the feet, that he may walk in the path of the commandments of Christ. Then the Duncan. Duncan. Do you, do you know what? Do you know what the word baptism comes from? I believe it's the Greek, maybe the Latin. But I think it's the Greek. What it means um, when we say baptism? What that means literally? No, I don't. But thank you for doing that to me again. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. I know. It actually doesn't bother me when you do it. So. I know you're you're too humble. Like it, it bothers <laughs> me because I I just feel like I should know these things. But you didn't. Like I went through four years of seminary. I should know these things. <laughs> At one is, point, I did. What does baptism mean? It just means like immersion or dunking. Oh, yeah. Great. So then the priest. The, all of this has led up to, of course, the baptism. The baptism in our Byzantine churches, we have this this big, like a massive chalice-looking thing um, that the baby is immersed fully in when he's when he's dunked three times. Um, we call this the baptismal font, of course. Another word for it, as I've shared before, is the womb of the church. Because again, the breathing on the baby symbolizes the, the breath, the creating breath of the spirit, the breath through which God himself reveals by speaking his word into the world. Um, and the same thing, there, there's a new birth like John 2 right with Nicodemus you have to be born again and so we we Catholics and Orthodox we Eastern and Western Christians um, believe that that baptism is being born again that's what Jesus was talking about when he talked to Nicodemus of course many of our Protestant brothers and sisters will say that it's it's a like a personal acceptance of faith um, which is true for us that's important of course but but this but baptism is the real new birth so we actually call the font the the womb of the church and it's kind of shaped like a, you could imagine like, you know, kind of an internal organ. <laughs> Again, I've never seen a womb, um, but I bet you could, you can imagine this guy, what, what it looks like inside of a mama. Um, so then the, the priest takes the baby uh, traditionally stripped completely naked because, uh, because like birth, right? New birth. You, mm -hmm. you, you come out, you come out uh, completely naked. So obviously each priest has kind of their own technique um, I tend to I tend to hold the baby away from me, especially if it's a boy. Um, hold the baby <laughs> oh, oh, for obvious reasons, practical reasons. Um, uh, I, I have been I have never had the baby pee on me, but I have had I have had the baby pee in the towel when I'm holding them later on. 
Mm. I like to finish the churching. Um, and I have had one time where I just held the baby down in the water because I, I thought they were, so I wasn't sure if they were or not, but I just held the baby down in the water with their head, with their head above, of course. But anyway. I, so also, the, the, <laughs> I, also, I also wonder if there's something about that. I know. I also wonder if there's something, though, about the... Um, the the nakedness being um, being brought back to the original unity in the garden, like before the fall mm. of of Adam and Eve. That's very theology of the body of you, sister. That's just I, you yeah. know I love theology of the body. Yeah, so. I bet you're right. Anyways. That's beautiful. Yeah, very cool. Now, again, if, if you're at my parish, and I think most priests do allow like a swimmer's diaper or something, you, I, I would even allow a normal diaper, but when mm-hmm. I'm handing you a baby that's literally, <laughs> the, the diaper just soaked up all that baptismal water. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, uh, but swimmer's diaper, but I, I think that there is a sim- multiple, you know, symbolisms of, of that, that nakedness of like the, the first birth. And then I like that too, the, uh, the shameless nakedness in the garden. Mm. All right, then the priest says, the servant of God, John, is baptized into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And then the priest clothes the baby in the robe of righteousness, so a, a, a white either baptismal gown or, or something, um, a white robe, the book says here, that we just, in, in my parish, we've just used a, a pure white towel. Um, because the baby's soaking wet, obviously. So, um, by the way, uh, according to canon law, the the babe, I shouldn't even say this because people will judge their priests, but um, you really, the baby's head is supposed to get wet. So some priests will literally dunk the baby's whole body, head and everything under the water three times, mm-hmm. which babies can handle. I've also seen other babies face the baby towards them with the camera, which is dangerous, and then blow in the baby's face because they know that when you blow the baby's face, the yeah. they'll hold their breath and you dunk them three times with, yeah. their, with their breath being held. Um, what I do is I hold the baby with, with two hands to do one, two dunks up to the chin. And then I go the third time with one hand and I take water and pour water over the baby's head. It's mm-hmm. less scary to the parents. Um, and me being a celibate, I, I, I want them to trust me with, <laughs> with, with their children since I don't have my own to learn these things. But then there's, but then I usually just have the godmother or godfather hold the, hold the towel out and I just plop the baby in the towel. And then I say the prayer of the, the robe of righteousness, the white. Again, in the early church, um, people would wear their white baptismal robes all the way until Ascension or Pentecost, you know? So this is a very early church thing. We do go from wearing, you know, a, a darker color vestment, something symbolizing dirtiness to something completely pure. We should, we should ask is. Perla if for this episode, we can use a picture of Jelly's baptism oh. because you baptized her and I was the godmother. Oh, there we go. That'd be cool. Yeah. I imagine they have something nowadays. And the pre, then, then the people sing, O most merciful Christ, our God, you clothe yourself with light as with a garment. Give me a robe of light. And that is from Psalm 103. And then you give the Godparent a lighted candle. Um, Receive this lighted candle and during your entire life, strive to shine with the light of faith and good deeds. That when the Lord comes, you may be able to meet him with light together with all the saints and enter unhindered into the court of his heavenly glory reign with him throughout all eternity. So obviously this is, this is multiple things. The candle is the light of Christ, but it's also something that, that in a sense, the child symbolically carries with them so that they can be like one of those virgins that, that are awaiting the coming of the bridegroom, you know, with, with a light that guides, a light that waits, a light that, that assists in that way. Ah, um, so much from the profession. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, which is, again, that's why monasticism is called by many a second baptism. Mm-hmm. You know, because it, it involves a lot of these things. All right, I am not going to go in the chrismation um, because we're we're late, we're mm-hmm. over time. But um, we'll do that next time. But um, is there anything or at some else? Point, maybe not next time. Yeah. Is there anything else 
about the baptism. Oh, at this point then, once, once, so then you do the chrismation and then you would, would do the prayer of St. Simeon, then the walking around the altar if, if your priest does that tradition. Um, which I, which I love. I think it's, I think it's extremely beautiful. So um, I, I'm, I'm glad it is a tradition um, and I'm, I'm glad that, that some priests do it. Mm-hmm. All right. Anything else, sister, that we should bring up about baptism? Well, the, the chrismation then or the confirmation then is kind of the baby's participation in Pentecost. We'll get into that. But this was all, you can see the symbolism there about creation, about being born again, about the death and resurrection of Christ. Actually, that's why, why we use water and dunk in water because water gives life and also takes it away. You know, this sounds horrible, but if you kept we the use, baby under the water, water. Did you say that? Well, you don't have to. We just do it for oh. a practical thing. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's, it's warm just because you don't want the babies flipping out when it hits the cold water. Because like I, I remember, I, I remember trekking that water up the, mm. trekking up the stairs with that water at Holy Protection yep. out from yep. the yeah. Oh man, we use we use we for have a, we have baptisms. a very yeah. a sacred tradition of the mom testing the water before the baptism to make sure it's the right temperature for the baby because <laughs> the baby's going all the way in there. So, but the, but the 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 triple dunking, of course, triple for the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, which is required for the validity of the rite, but. Um, in addition to that, it, it symbolizes again water. We need it to live, but it also can take our life if we die, mm-hmm. um, if we drown. So that that's what it literally when the baby gets dunked under the water, that's a sim- sign of death, mm-hmm. and then they get pulled out as a sign of life, death, life, death, life, and that's because they're participating in the death and resurrection of Christ. So all these things, like the oil that comes from the olive, symbolizing reconciliation, all these things are meant because we don't see the change in the baby. Like you can't look at a baby post post baptism and say, "Oh, look, they're baptized now." That's pretty obvious. They're now remember the body of Christ, you know, that doesn't have the soul, but the, but the, the ritual itself is so full of these, these symbols to help our, us in our humanity, I mean, the chrism, which we'll get to later on, I'm not going to go into that now, but every, everything has a, a symbol to show as best as we can, the church fathers have guided us in saying, letting those who observe this and participate in this to understand what is actually going on here through these symbols. Mm-hmm. All right. Anything else, sister? Um, not on baptism. I have a few quick, um, housekeeping things. Do it. Uh, one is we forgot to do this last time, yes, but I wanted to, you realized it too. Yeah. Um, I wanted to <laughs> ask people, <laughs> I wanted to ask people to please, we're, we're doing it at the, we're supposed to do it at the end of everyone, right? That's what we decided. Yeah. Okay. To please follow Instabook, us. Please sister. Please follow <laughs> us on Instagram and uh, Facebook and uh, please like us on those things as well. And on the on the I meant to write this down on the on the Apple Podcasts and stuff. Please rate us and leave a comment, um, a good comment and good rating because then the algorithms help our podcast to move up higher and we can evangelize more people. Because sister will cry less. Yeah, <laughs> nah, it's, I do cry a lot. Uh, so I wanted to say that, please and thank you. But also, I wanted to give two quick shout outs because we got. Wait, wait, wait. Sorry. YouTube. We're on YouTube now. Oh, right. And also, oh, I have. Goodreads. Also, Goodreads. Goodreads. And I have Twitter, Padre Michaelo. Okay. Thanks. Um, two more people have sent us Liquid IV, which is just oh. wonderful because. You're saving the nuns a lot of money. But one is Kevin from Seattle. So thank you, Kevin. Shout out to Kevin. And also Kathleen. So shout out to Kathleen. Also to Maria, her daughter, who sounds super awesome. So uh, 
that's all. Do you have any shout outs before I do parent intentions? Um, no, I, I should. I totally should, but I don't. Sorry. Okay. Sorry, all those I should be giving shout outs to. Okay. So, prayer intentions. Episode, I'm going to give mine. I'm going to, I'm going to say, I'm going to say pray for Catherine, our catechumen, hmm. um, who, uh, who is, is moving towards baptism. And uh, she's got a very beautiful soul and she's, she's doing this so beautifully authentically and asking all the right questions and really wanting this to actually change her life. Like she hmm. really wants this to this. She's not doing this for anybody except, except herself. She's not being forced by anybody. She, this is something she truly believes that, that our faith is, is the epitome of truth, beauty and goodness. It is the church of Jesus Christ it is the it is uh, where God uses most um, obviously to save the souls of those who he created and and she's she's doing this so incredibly well but obviously we all need prayers the devil's going to continue attacking her as he always does um, so yeah I pray for Catherine thank you awesome and even though we're recording this on July 5th it's coming out on August 4th which means in, which means you and I are probably both in Colorado right now but then mm. The in three days on August seventh, I'm starting with you, Father Michael, in LA, my pre-profession retreat. Yes. So good idea. So please pray for me, people. I like listen to her. Please pray for me. <laughs> I appreciate the, worst, the prayer request, sister. Worst. <laughs> please pray for Father Michael and that he becomes not such a turd muffin. But then also please pray for me because I'm going to be on retreat. And because these last few months before life profession, the devil's just really thrown everything he's got at me, uh, which is confirmation that I'm doing what he doesn't like, which means I'm doing what Jesus wants. So, yeah. I can confirm the devil's thrown everything at you. And I, and I want to say, <laughs> sister, you, you, are a, you are truly, to quote the words of the, of the baptism, you are truly a warrior and a soldier for Christ our God. Um, oh, man. These, these arrows are, are, are bouncing off of you. And the ones that sink in deep, you're yanking them out like a champ. <laughs> and you're, you're, you're looking the devil back in the eye again. And you're, you're, you're trudging on um, with great heroic eloquence and discipline and courage and faith. So thank um, you for that witness. I'm trying. So pray for me, pray for Catherine. There we go. Father, give may a Lord, blessing. May the Lord bless you, keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, have mercy on you. May our Lord grant you all a renewal of your baptisms if you are baptized. And if you are listening to this and you're not, may you receive the grace of the Holy Spirit that will urge you on to courage and a greater seeking of the truth of the creator and the truth of his uh, invitation, his eternal invitation to join him in eternal life, to participate in his own divine life and to enjoy the presence of everything you were created for in the salvation of your soul in heaven and theosis and union with God. May we all desire this as our greatest desire. May the Lord bless all of you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Love you. Love you, sister. Love you all. Love you guys. Bye.